I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. So welcoming our guest, Jack, if you'd like to tell us your name, the name of your business and to describe the nature of your business, please. Yeah, thank you for having me, Michael. Good morning. Um, My name is Jack Bristow. I co-founded J3 Advisory um, and we advise property developers and property professionals um, on structural warranties and appropriate debt structures. The theory being we help them get the right insurance um, and also structure their debt in an intelligent way. Okay, that sounds like a, a, an interesting space. I think some of our listeners won't know much about that. Um, probably the biggest part of your business is structural warranties. Can you just explain to the, our listeners who don't know much about structural warranties, what they are and why they're important? Yeah, of course. So your structural warranty um, is often found, or it's found on every residential new build development um, in the UK. And when I say new build, I mean a new build out the ground, but also change of use and on conversions. Um, it's there to protect the structural integrity of the building. So for those that develop it, but also the, the uh, consumer that usually resides in it, um, thereafter the policy lasts for 10 years. Uh, and it's a requirement of your mortgage when you go to purchase a new build property. So it's a requirement that every residential developer has to have and, and put in place. And because it lasts for 10 years, it's quite a uh, big ticket item when it comes to procuring and purchasing. So so in summary, if your property, if you're buying a new build property and it doesn't have a new homes warranty uh, or, or it's other, as it's otherwise known as latent defects insurance, Indeed. then you cannot get a mortgage. So Correct. Uh, top, top tip, if you're buying a new build property, make sure that you've got a new homes warranty. Otherwise, you're going to find that getting a mortgage on that is going to be very difficult. OK. Um, and your customer is typically who is the, is your customer uh, an end user or is your customer typically a developer or do you have any other types of clients on the on the on the uh, structural warranty side of things? Yeah, it's a good question. I think probably 70, 80 percent of the time the property developer um, is our client. I would say that's our, our primary focus. But because we have the other side of the business where we advise the developer on, on debt as well, we have relationships with with lenders. We quite often are, are asked to advise on on matters with regards to latent defects policies from the from the lender's perspective, um, whether the policy that's being put in place is appropriate and fit for purpose. So 
70-80% of the time, it's the developer, but there's also other people in the cycle, be it the lender, cost consultants, lawyers, mortgage brokers, um, that will often come to us with the inquiry. But our, our client primarily always ends up being the developer, but who we deal with is, is, is quite a cross-section. Structural, structural warranties, um, you know, latent defects insurance. Um, you know, for for a, a, a lad from South London, um, it's probably not the most obvious place you might end up finding yourself working. So, how did you get get into that line of wis- uh, line of business, and you know, what steps did you have to take to to get there? Yeah, so my professional career before being in property and insurance usually centered around sport football primarily to begin with um working on the commercial commercial in the commercial departments club side um and then working my way through other areas of football some in sort of the football agency and also on the commercial side of, of that business um and then i found myself on the, the fringe of formula one doing event activation around some of the races um and it's and there's a bit of a, a as a, a reoccurring theme um, in my career, um, I, I came across somebody that I worked for years ago, and it, by chance happened to meet somebody that was that was building and running a, a niche insurance brokers. Um, and it was a, a chance meeting. I was signing a contract actually um, for for an event with an old contact, and this this guy was across the table was was at the same place, and and, and we got chatting. Um, and I, I decided that I, I wanted to get out of um, the Formula One scene that, that I was on. It was it had been it had been great fun, but I felt like I needed a little bit more more structure in my life. And it was it was one of those, those sort of moments in time where I, I met someone. They were looking for somebody that could assist grow assist with growing the sales side of their business. Um, and it was a it, it was a fortunate bit of timing for me. So I I, I really uh, when I took the job, I, I did it based on. I suppose the, the the two the two roles before going from going into selling blatant defects insurance to being Formula One before that and being in football previous to that um, probably sounded and looked like quite sexy jobs on the on the face of it and, and insurance I suppose probably doesn't have quite the uh, quite the same allure as the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix um, but what I was, I was really looking for was to get into a structured environment with somebody that was going to be firm but fair uh, that was that was I was I was really looking for a boss rather than a job. Um, and that was the route I, I went down, and it was like I say, it was a, it was a fortunate bit of timing. I, I, I came into a, a niche insurance brokers um, at the at the early stages of, of sort of their their beginning, um, and was there for five years and worked in various different roles throughout that business. And the, the my final post team was as commercial director, but we we grew that business to to thirty five people before I decided it was it was time to to go out on my own and, and founded J three or co founded J three. Okay, I have a number of questions. The first one is, um, which football club were you involved in, Jack? Uh, Crystal Palace. Okay, so Premier League team, or for the most part, a Premier League team. Um, I can imagine a lot of our listeners, especially younger ones, younger male listeners, uh, although probably increasingly on the female side too, uh, would probably give their right arm for the opportunity to work in a in a Premier League football club. Um, why was it that you you left Crystal Palace and especially as it knowing that it's a team that you also support um, that was that a difficult decision for you um, or, or what was the what was the main driver for leaving the particularly football? 
I think um, I think when I was at Palace, it was it, you know it was a great job. I was based at Selhurst Park, so I was a season ticket holder at a, at a firm for many years. To be going to work every day, although SE25, I would probably describe as up and coming as an area. To go to Selhurst Park had a a certain charm for me. So and th- and that never that never rubbed off. I suppose that was always that was always there. But I think that you know in in any job you have, and I was I was at Palace just over two years. I think that you have frustrations and, and politics like you do with with every job and every job I had before it and after it, I had them. But quite often your football club is your piece of escapism. So you're going to Arsenal on a Saturday. That's your escape from the working week. Um, and, you know, you, you get your your escapism from it. You enjoy it and then you, you go back, enjoy the rest of the weekend and you're, and you're back to work. Um, and quite often I was I was going back to Palace on Saturday and was client facing doing the hospitality. Um, and it and it kind of I, I I lost that connection as a as a fan. So it was it, it was a great job and I really enjoyed it. When I when I did leave, I, it took me probably eighteen months to sort of fall back in love with it as a as a fan again, just because of the, the 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 trials and tribulations of, of any job. Um, I think is it can be stressful. And then actually, when I was there, Palace were in the Championship, so it was quite a challenge trying to sell boxes for Barnsley on a Tuesday night in November. Um, so it was probably where I, uh, I honed in quite a few of my, um, my my sales skills, I imagine, because you had to be able to um, to move fairly quickly to be able to to find somebody that was silly enough um, or loved Palace enough to be interested in buying one of those boxes. So I think that when I was when I was there, it was great, and I, and, and I learned a lot in that time. It was it was it was one of those things where I thought I, I've I've enjoyed this. It's been a great experience. I love the fact that I've I managed to get get myself in a position to to have that job there. And now it's time to go and do something else. So before you were at Palace, what what did you do? Was that was that straight out of school, or had you been to university or college, or I, you know, how, yeah, how did you get into that? Yeah, I, so I I did my A levels and left in the February before, and so in the in the February in my second year. So I didn't actually did my ASs, but didn't didn't complete my A levels. I wasn't really. It was I wasn't taking it seriously, but I, I didn't I was I was doing it because everyone else was doing it and I didn't really I didn't really have the direction on where I was gonna go and what I was gonna do. Um so I I worked with my dad for six months when I came out of school and and then I suppose being a, a South London boy as you touched on earlier and, and fairly fast talking, I, I fell into sales as most people usually do in, in those scenarios and, and and tried a few tried a few different things. I started off in telecommunications. My friend got me a job um, in foreign exchange, which I really enjoyed, which was really good. Uh, then, then I picked up a job uh, working in contract publishing. And so when you go to events at the XL and you get the brochures, um, selling the advertising space in there to the sponsors and the, um, the exhibitors. Um, and it was when I was there, Crystal Palace at the time were in, um, or just, I think they'd just been placed into administration. It was fairly apparent that they were going to be coming out of it. There was going to be a deal that was going to be done with the bank. Um, Steve Parish and Co. were going to be looked like they were going to be taken over or CPFC 2010, as they were known at the time. Um, so I'd seen that there'd been redundancies that had been made at Palace, and on on the basis that there were um, there were some bright spots on the on the horizon for Palace, I thought it was probably a good time to try and get myself in front of somebody there. Um, and 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 see if I could you know find a find an opportunity in the commercial team, which is which is what I did. So that was my my, my early career was a little bit of job hopping, which is something I'm I'm quite proud of because I think it's a um, I think you have to 
find your find your niche and and I dealt with a, a cross section of different people. I, I sold loads of different products. I worked in different parts of London. I was you know I was I was around and about, and I had much more experience by the time I got to 21, 22, um, when I was at Palace. Um, than I think most people my age, and I think that stood me in, in, in relative good stead, although probably at the time my, my dad was concerned about my uh, frequency of, of moving around. Yeah, I, I think that's quite interesting, the the variety of experience and be, learning to sell different things. Uh, it, you know, it, it's very useful for development. I think if you look at the, um, the book Outliers, for example, you know, talks about... Um, the 10,000 hour rule. And I guess in your case, you've had the opportunity, you've probably got the opportunity now to, to spend more than 10,000 hours perfecting your your skills in selling products. It, it just so happens that you've sort of landed on selling insurance or, you know, a, ty- a, t- a type of insurance that's very niche and very specific um, in, the ne- in the latent defects world. So I'd like to ask about what was the motivation to then go out on your own and found J3 with um, with Johnny and James, uh, as you have done. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. I think when you when you work somewhere, and like I say, when I when when I took the job of the the insurance brokers in in the city, um, I was very much looking for a boss rather than a job, and I and and I found that and. I think with the, the cross section of experience, the thing I'd learned, well, what I certainly learned is I, I learned way more from bad bosses than I did from from good bosses. Um, as it happens, I only had a, a, a couple of a couple of good bosses, um, so I learned quite a lot. Um, and I, and I, and that always spurred me on. And there was a few times in in my professional career where I thought maybe I'm going to go and do this on my own. You know, at different junctures um, before before getting into insurance. So I think it was always in me. Um, my dad ran his own um, small enterprise, small business, um, and and he and I are, are quite similar. So I think that having grown up around that, you know, dad running his own business, that was always it was something that I was aware and attuned to. Um, and quite often, something that you know, he, always, he always says about me is that I collect people as I as I kind of go through life and go through my career, which it just I think is a good thing. And quite a lot of the time, those are, you know, business owners, isn't it? If that's somebody I, I sold a box to or some restaurant packages to at Crystal Palace, whether it was somebody I did FX for um, or whatever it may have been. And, and quite often, you know, these people have similar traits and they're, and they're business owners. I'm not, I'm not sure that I, I have all or some of those traits, but certainly um, I seem to gravitate towards those people. So I always felt like it was something that was going to come to me naturally. I suppose that the question was going to be, was I going to go full-fledged out on my own or was I going to end up leading a business and I was and I was I was leading a business before going on my own but I, I felt like I had the the itch and that was something that I, that I needed to do. I think one of the things that's quite noticeable for me is that I think a lot of a lot of people in business fail to realize that they are in their own right entrepreneurs and I think salespeople more than anyone especially if they're commission based and I imagine the majority of your roles in your early career were commission based. Yeah. You are you are in effect self-employed. You know regardless of whether you've got a a contract or a fully employed contract or not. If you're earning commission if you predominantly are eating what you kill, you are effectively an entrepreneur. 
And, I, and it's interesting that a lot of people who are salespeople or, or very strong at sales do end up ultimately going it alone because being a salesperson is is actually a very lonely place and you are often very exposed and you're thinking a lot of other roles non-sales roles there are plenty of intangible things that you can point to where you can demonstrate to the business that you're in that you're adding value but in sales there's, there's only really one thing that matters and that's the bottom line and if you're not getting it done then you're not getting it done and so if you are someone that's a performer in sales inevitably you are i think naturally more more drawn to becoming a business owner jack it's been about a year year and a half since you founded j3 with the other guys how have you found that experience so far i know we've we're going to touch on some specific challenges that you've experienced or or things that you're going to find challenging going forwards but have you found that have you found in a more general sense the the experience of establishing your own business and becoming self-employed after being employed for a good period of time and most likely earning a very solid comfortable wage um overall really enjoyed it i think the the best and one of the early pieces of advice i got was um it will take longer and it will cost more money and that's that's definitely been one of the learnings i've taken away in the first 18 months um and i think from one of the things that I, I probably wasn't expecting um, to find challenging, it's not so much a, a, a consideration now, but in the early days, probably in those first six months, is, is that you're quite used to having that downward pressure um, where you've got somebody more senior, you know, the ultimate boss that is setting some level of expectation, some some boundary, a budget, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, when it's you and you have other considerations because you've got partners and, and, and so on, um, I think it's the realization that there isn't anybody above you, so it's you know it, it's time to get on with it. I think you can have moments of of inaction and inactivity um, as a result of that, and 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 then you need to you know kind of motor and get on with it. And that probably wasn't something that I was expecting to find that challenging, but I suppose it was it was you know the one thing I looked for in the previous job was was framework and structure, um, and that was what I enjoyed and where and what I flourished within um, previously. And then I had to you know sort of set my own and, and part of that is discipline and framework and, and so on and so forth so uh, you know overall it's been it's been fantastic and, and, and I've enjoyed establishing the brand we've been very well received by the market and, and you know we've had some fantastic we have some fantastic partners that have been very supportive and and clients also um but it, it's certainly been uh, been probably more challenging than than I expected yeah I I think so obviously I know I know you, you and the guys a little bit anyway and and the business too and i suppose you're operating in a space where there aren't that many people competing with you it's very niche set subsector of the insurance world um and there are very few specialists or people specialized to the level that you do in latent defects insurance uh, on the brokerage side or the advisory side and of course you have that complementary uh funding piece as well which i know is is doing quite well too um You've obviously touched on the fact that you've had to put in place the structure element of being your own boss, which you would ordinarily have when you're fully employed, but you've now had to do that yourself. And that's one of the biggest challenges that you've had. Can you talk about some of the other big challenges you've experienced as a business owner so far? Yeah, I think well, the, the, the big one is something that you and I have, have 
talked about before, we obviously have um, a legal situation with our previous employer, which I won't go into go into sort of great detail on. Um, but th that is a situation that I've not encountered before. Um, so there's quite a lot to learning, <laughs> quite a steep learning curve um, on the on the legal front and the you know the, the situations and the, the the avenues that you end up going down. So. I think that that's you know certainly from a, a time and cost perspective. Moreover, the you know the, you can always you know there's always a, a way to, to to make more money and, and so on and so forth. But I think it's the you know the, the time and the the energy that you sat um, having a what is it a, a negative item I suppose or what there's always on the agenda with the, the legal dynamic um, has been I suppose probably the biggest mental challenge. I don't I don't think that the actual um, nuts and bolts of it um, are overtly challenging overly challenging for us um but i think it's the it's the time you spend on it and it's the, the time you spend thinking about it um and and so on and so forth that's certainly been what you know the, the one of the larger challenges it's safe to say yeah how, how do you get yourself in the right frame of mind to approach that specific challenge like when because i can i could imagine when that first that first letter from your former employer's lawyer lands on your desk you know it, it's a kind of you know it's a brown pants sort of time um, <laughs> yeah I think do how, you know how did you you know how did you kind of steel yourself to get yourself through that initial I suppose for one of a better expression shock and then mm. get yourself into the right frame of mind to then kind of go into for one for one of a better expression just go into battle you know how do you get yourself into that mind mindset and, and and not kind of just completely cave in and or panic yeah I think the, the you know we were quite considered when it first happened and you know the first and probably the most important thing that we did was go to the pub um and I think that was yeah that and that was that was kind of that's the, I think that was one of the, not the pub really, we did go to the pub but I think one of the benefits um with not being a business owner on your own and doing it with other people was that you could talk about it and you you know you was people that were in the same boat because it was it was happening to all three of us so I think that there was you know there's, there's strength in numbers um and we we really benefited from that and there were certainly days where you know I didn't want to take on the world and I and, you know, didn't really want to do too much but on those days Johnny would be flying and and that would pick me up and then you know there would be a reversal on that where there'd be a day where you know Molly wasn't too keen on doing whatever it was that we needed to do but I was on the up and I was busy so he was going to be on up and he was going to be busy so I think that that is probably um probably the first point and, and, and also I think with all of these things you know Michael we, without getting into the the merits and who's doing what to who and so on and so forth I think all of these things you know these the, the negative challenges that that come up not just in business but in life generally those those challenges that come in front of you they're, they're it's you have a you have a choice with them where they you know they they kind of take over or it's fueled on the fire and, and you go and get on with it and you know sort of perversely I've, I've almost enjoyed some of some of it because when when there has been things that's that's come our way that's been challenging um and if i felt it was unnecessary or unfair and i, I don't think fairness really comes into it um I've almost gone okay fine and, and I think it's probably it, it's united just not just the three of us um but also the others in the business as well I do think it, it's a batting down the hatches um type situation and, and I think we've certainly done more as a result of it so it's, it's probably it's 
it, it slowed us down in in some instances because of the time spent and the and you know and you know the money that's been that's been poured into it sadly but at the same time i think that my biggest learning i talked about that downward pressure earlier on and i think that i once i got comfortable with the fact that um imperfect action beats everything especially anxiety then it, i was kind of up and away and it was something i i always knew but it was much more focused and honed in for me because like i said i didn't have the somebody else's business framework around me i was having to having to do it do it myself or do it with the chaps um to be to be fair so i think that once you know once i realized that it was it just it's it's one of those things that that comes at you and and like everything is you i think if you're if you're going to go out and do something on your own as you talked about if you have that mentality and experience of being a salesperson um and you need to make it happen when the negative stuff comes your way you just kind of go okay cool yeah i'll bank that into the fire and and let's fuel it and 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 move it on and I think it's not um it's not quite it hasn't been quite as easy as i've made it sound there it's you know it has been particularly challenges and, and, it, and it and it eats you know your, your, your mind wanders and, and your mind i quite often find can be illogical with the things that it thinks and about the you know things that might happen and, and you know oh, well, what about if you go all the way down here so i think that it's it's a uh, it's one of those things that you have to take the negative and, and turn it into a positive and move it forward and that's 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 what we've done with that yeah uh, to touch on i guess another way of describing what you what you said at the end there about how your mind goes down into these dark rabbit holes that you know that's uh, as my uh, as my coach would would call it you you tend to catastrophize uh, these situations and you know you, you you play out the worst case scenario I suppose and as we've discussed you know when you know when my co-founder and I as a hair look at scenarios we're always thinking about is this a five-year fatal so whatever whatever challenge comes up is mm. is what I might I'm experiencing something that could be fatal to the business between any time between now and the next five years of the business and if it is then then that's obviously a major problem and if it's not then then there's you know as as frustrating as it can be and obviously you and I know you and I've discussed some of the challenges that we've experienced over the past two 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 and a half years you know ultimately we've seen it through and the things the things that they, they tend to cost you as they have with your case is 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 money well you can always make more money the bigger cost is time but also yeah. then the the counterpoint to that though is that the experience that you gain and the confidence that you have on the back of an experience like you've had means that it will give you um it will give you some real steel and some resolve and and what i really like is that it sounds like your experience here has has had the effect of the fact that you've been sued by your former employer you and your partners has actually had a galvanizing effect on the three of you that founded the business and it's brought you closer together um so i think that's that's been something that i think is 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 really truly wonderful and um it's great that you can lean on each other and i, I did love what you said there that you when 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 that letter landed effectively your first instinct was to go down the pub because it's almost like right okay what are we going to do we're going to go and chat about this we're going to have you know we're going to talk it through okay well you know it's a bit scary but you had each other and, and that and i think that something that if you are thinking about starting a business up and um, it's almost always better to start a business up with other people so yeah i i don't have the exact statistics to hand 
But most venture capital companies in, say, Silicon Valley or you know, Silicon Roundabout in, in London, for example, they typically want to see multiple founders because companies that have multiple founders have a much greater chance of success than a company that's single that, that's, that's founded by just one person because the company with multiple founders have got that ability to socialize the challenges and problems um, like the ones that you're experiencing and they they're, they're less inclined to go down that dark rabbit hole and when they have a dark moment as you said someone like Johnny might be in a positive place when you're or you or Molly are in a in a more negative place and for the benefits of the listeners that's James Mole and Johnny Ledsom who are Jack's business partners um okay so I think in the context of the guests that that are appearing on our on our show I would say that having guests that are being uh, going through the process of litigation although uh, if you're a business owner the chances are you'll be in some form of litigation at some point over a 40 or 50 year career but you're going to be generally in the minority um so hopefully people uh, people who've been listening to this can take some great comfort and confidence that if they were to face that sort of situation and they've got business partners and business associates that the likelihood is that when you're faced with it it's not going to be fatal and you will see it through to the other side. Um, Jack, you and I like to talk about this particular challenge that you're experiencing as just one of a series of challenges. When this when this litigation is resolved, as it likely will be at some point in the next six to 12 months, you're going to have other challenges and threats. Um, and what do you see those big, biggest challenges and threats over the next 12 to 18 months likely to be? I think that that we're quite fortunate because we're you know a, a relatively new and, and lean business. I think our you know our our threats are really our, you know our primary one is ourselves. I think if we're if we're consistent and proactive, communicate well and, and on the front foot, we can mitigate and, and cut off most challenges at the past. I think that, you know, we're we're having to build and establish the brand. So we're we're having to beat the streets and get out and see people go and talk to lending partners, insurance partners and, and other people in the in, in the property cycle. Um I think that we there are obviously um a tough set of market conditions. But I think from my perspective, I look at it and think that we've we've probably been through three of the the toughest years in, in reflect upon reflection um that, that most people have have seen um and i think on a, a look forward basis um things are more encouraging going forward than they do going backwards so i, I think probably the, the the past 18 months would have been will it will turn out to be that they will have been more challenging than the 18 that are that are, that are coming forward um maybe whether that may will come back to haunt me now as we've recorded this but i think I, I'm, we're certainly going into it with a with an optimistic attitude i, I may feel differently about that if we were a slightly older business, older business, um, and we had some, you know, some some, some bigger overheads than, than what we do currently, but I think that we're still, you know, quite adaptable and, and fleet of foot, which allows us to, you know, to to see the opportunities within the threats. You know, there's definitely going to be um, further bad debt, bad debt that goes into the market, and, and people that fall foul of that, you know, lightly capitalised developers are going to, uh, you know, and, and inexperienced ones are going to struggle. But that is going to create opportunities. For the more experienced, um, and we will be in and around 
those people are in our networks currently. So I think that from from that standpoint, if things were to get particularly, you know, if we were to go the other way, if it was to get particularly challenging, we still believe there's a, a there's a host of opportunities there. You know, not not none more so than um, there will still be a requirement. There's still a housing shortage. People will still need to be building new build properties, and all those properties will need a structural warranty. Most of those developers will be taking some form of debt. Um, and we provide those services as you know, as well as you know, we'll look into it. We're we're looking into expansion, into expansion now, of fanning out our our insurance products, as as you and I have talked about quite recently. So I think um, everyone's quite right to be cautious, but I think we'll look in eighteen months' time back over the past five years and say actually, the first three were much harder than the the more recent two. Um, so. I think there are, you know, the obvious threats that are that are there and, and will remain. But I, I think that there's a there's a host of opportunities in front of us. I, I think if I think about some of the things that we've discussed privately, there are there are clearly some challenges that you have in terms of dealing with the growth of your business. And are you able to maybe talk about where? you are struggling to enable the, the growth of your business, you know, especially is that maybe the business, the business might be there to do, but actually how do you, you know, how do you have, how do you build the infrastructure to take advantage of that growth? Because it clearly sounds like you, you can see that there's a lot of opportunity in the, you know, in the market available to someone, to a business like yourselves. Um, but there's, there's the theory of that and then there's the execution of that. So can you just talk about maybe some of the challenges in, in, in executing yeah. on that on that growth plan, definitely. I think everyone has a, a plan of where they're going and 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 what they'd like to do next. And you know, as, as I said at the top, the, the piece of advice that I got that it it will always uh, it will take longer and cost more money is is, is found to be true most days. Um, but I, I think when when we look forward and we, we look at how we're gonna how we'd like to grow the business, I think that you know the single biggest ta- uh, challenge is is always talent. I think there's lots of talent there, but it's it's attracting it and, and I, I don't mean attracting it just by simply paying more money. I think you have to show people um, career progression and you have to have that infrastructure in place to be able to do it. Um, obviously we have some, some challenges around um, there's, there's the plan for the business, but then there's the plan for the business alongside the litigious situation that we find ourselves in. So, th- you know, that's probably our, our hamstring, which is, you know, I imagine some people quite enjoy that. that that's the, the situation we find ourselves in. Um, but I've always been a, a big believer that the, the one thing that separates one business from another is is the people in the building. But it's it's certainly our plan over between now and the summer um, to go and hire the, you know the best people in the market in the in the departments that we need them. I can certainly think going and, and finding um, a senior insurance person and a and a, and a senior um, and tenacious finance broker. Will be our our next step. Next steps, as well as some some further operational support um, for the for the infrastructure of the business. And I think that that's that's you know it's a fairly obvious thing for us to to be thinking about and to be to be going and doing. But as ever, the, you know the biggest challenge with that is finding the right people, not just the people that can that can do the deals or set the processes. It's the people that fit within the culture and and that are going to you know are the right people to come on the journey that you're that you're trying to go on. So I think that that's the that, that, that's the first and foremost. I think, like I say, we've been very well received um, by both markets, insurance and funding, with regards to lenders and insurance partners, which, we, which we've been very grateful for. And of course, it's, it's keeping on the, the front foot of that and 
maintaining and developing those relationships. So I think that you know talent is always the um, is always the biggest challenge because it's 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 finding it at the at the right time um, and at the right money and, and having the right opportunity for it. So that's the, that's the that's the big one for us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that would be a common theme echoed by myself and many others in a similar position. Cool. Right. So I'm um, going to move away a little bit from the business side for a moment and talk about lifestyle and particularly around positive habits that you're you are engaged in that support your lifestyle and well-being. And uh, you recently or fairly recently became a father. Um, so that will add particular strains on top of that. So curious to hear how you are managing that situation and how you're managing to stay sane outside of the office to obviously help you uh, perform to your best when you're in the office. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, the pressures of, of having a little one, I'm very fortunate that a lot of that is, is alleviated by my fiance, who's, who's doing a, a fantastic job day to day and I'm, I'm around as, as much as I possibly can be um, but, but certainly should be around a, a little bit more and, and would like to be and will be so um, I would love to say that from a positive habits perspective that I am a 25 minutes a day meditation guy I go to the gym three times a week and you know I have a, a routine and a schedule but I think the, the reality is and, and the honesty of the situation is that my life is organized chaos um at the moment with an eight month eight month old at home um and an 18 month old business um so i think that i I, I run between the two i have having said that i'm I'm, it's something that i'm very conscious of um so i have actually signed up to uh, a gym around the corner from the I've, i've benefited from um training previously and felt the benefits of having a busy lifestyle um, and and what it does for my mental capacity to have routine with regards to working out and, and, and what that gives me. And it's something that's that's certainly fallen away um, since my, my ladder arrived. But to be honest with you, it had fallen away um, from when we started the business because it was quite a, a an intense period of time, as, as we've touched on. And as you know, when you get the first 12 months of the business, you, you're trying to be all things to all men and, and be in all corners of the UK, seeing people. So I think... Positive habits is a is a work in progress for me, um, and certainly my you know my main focus is on spending time with my fiance and my and my little boy. I think that brings me um, a lot of calmness and and clarity. And adding into that um, something like a a gym routine and trying to keep up with Johnny on the running machine a couple of days a week will um, will stand me will stand me in good stead. But I think I'm I'm relatively good at um, managing myself and uh, sort of my own my own self-talk uh, the internal conversations you have so if I'm you know if I, if I am a little bit all over the shop my, my self-awareness is fairly attuned so I'll say right I need to you know have a, a day at home today spend some time with Josh and spend some time with my fiance um and then and then get back to it the, the work will still be there tomorrow so um more structure needed but certainly see the the, the value in, in positive habits and, and habits and looking forward to bringing them more to the more to the fore in in 2023 yeah i i think i think some of the things you're doing there are still really good um getting yourself in the gym for sure movement activity i've certainly seen the benefit of it myself um 
although you know it doesn't necessarily show on the scales because they're probably not good enough in the kitchen uh when it mm. comes to having control there but i think the other thing that you do really well is you know spending time with your son it, children i think are very grounding and um mm. they don't really care that you're a great businessman or that you're a great person i think all they care is how you interact with them and how you make them feel um mm. and so there's that kind of level there's that kind of leveler that you really really benefit from okay um let's let's talk about your superpower um and why do people want to work with you over other people or other other peers yeah this is something i always i I find quite interesting i think this is something that that is quite difficult to um to self-assess because i i don't like to um I don't think I do. I blow my own trumpet. Um, so it's it's difficult to do this. And you and I have, have talked about it um, offline. And I, I say that you know, quite often people seem to gravitate gravitate towards me, or they and they they'll quite often say you know they they seem to like the cut of my jib. So I, I think that probably my my superpower um, is is twofold. I think it's my the way that I communicate, um, and it's my it's it's my approach to work. It's my my approach to life, which is a you know push the ball forward every day which is you know i don't necessarily go in and think how can we move things forward today guys but it's you know if something's in front of me whether it's an inquiry a challenge whatever it is i'm, I'm looking at it and going okay fine how can we move that on to the next point how can we get that done how can we do that and move on to the next one um and i, I think that the um the varied the varied professional career um has given me a a relatively good understanding of value so I think that that's that's aided me to be able to quite quickly pinpoint where the where the value um, transaction is going to take place with you know with a client, with a partner, with a supplier, with a friend, whatever it may be. Um, and I've I've always been reasonable um, at, at communicating my point and and what I believe to be the best way forward based on the, the information that I've received from the other side. So I, I think that it's it, it's. I have a bit of a no bullshit approach to, to, to things and to life, I think. So I think that people like that and respect that and, and it and it people feed off of that energy. And I think that I've, I've I've benefited from that professionally. I think that's why people say actually, yeah, we use Jack at J3 because he, he gets stuff done for us and he's 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 good to deal with. I don't take things too seriously in in the same breath. We recently had a conversation about time wasters in business or people that string you along what's your approach to people to what's your, sorry what is your approach to people that have a habit of taking in taking advantage of you or stringing you along and what advice could you give to someone who's listening as to particularly if they're in a transact you know they're in a, a role where they need basically to make a sale how do you how do you deal with these people um, and what's your advice for dealing with them so I think very simply, you know, you build your credibility by the questions you ask. No one cares how many transactions you completed on last year, what the gross written premium was that you did last year, or how, you know, what the biggest deal was that you did. I think the, the thing that stops people in their tracks and makes them think is when you ask them a challenging question. And, you know, if you, if you, when you're dealing with people that are um, maybe a little bit more slippery when it comes to, you know, if you're trying to go through a transaction with them, I think that one of the things that I quite enjoy with with people is, you know, is asking those difficult questions and, and bringing up the elephant in the room and so and 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 putting putting those people on the spot in a, you know in a, in a positive and, and professional way because I think that's what 
that's what saves saves time. So that's that would be my first point, and probably main point is is you know you build credibility by the questions you ask. That's what I talk to our advisors about most days. And what can you give an example of one of those challenging questions that kind of I guess um, sorts the wheat from the chaff? Yeah, I think that you know everyone in in most businesses when you have a, an inquiry that comes in. Um, People look at it, and especially if it's, if it's on the large size, whether you do that by the, the value of it, or the you know the, in, in what we do, the number of units that it might be, or how much money they're they're looking to to borrow. Um, I think the bigger it is, the harder people find it to ask challenging questions. And and the reality is, you know, especially I look at it from a J3 perspective. We're 18 months old. If somebody comes to us and we get an online inquiry. Um, it, it will be 100% because of the fantastic marketing that Rosita's has done. But the first question we should be asking is, okay, so why are you here? Why have you come to us? How do you, how would you do this normally? And why aren't you doing it that way now? I think quite often the, the tendency that people have is is when they when they pick up a, something that's interesting or or is potentially going to be fruitful or lucrative for them, is that they want to wrap it in cotton wool. And they don't necessarily understand the motivations that sit behind it. So I, I think that, that those early questions, that's what saves you a hell of a lot of time. And you can, you know, you can cut through the noise. Um, and also it will build your credibility with the person sat at the other side of the table. Maybe they are just price checking and, you know, you, you are that guy. Um, but you can quickly weed that out by, by asking the right questions and understanding their previous process with regards to who, the, who their previous supplier was. If they weren't talking, you know, if they had not made the inquiry with you five minutes ago for you guys to be on the phone in that moment, how would they be looking to execute this piece of insurance or this piece of funding? Um, and I think that getting that level of understanding of how they're going to do it builds a picture very quickly. And I think, in, you know, in sales, that's, you know, that's, that's the most important thing is that you're, um, you're selective with your time just because something might have a £150 million ticket on it doesn't mean that it's actually attainable or that attractive. Um, you need, I need to be convinced when we get those inquiries in that we're working on it for the right reasons. So. Joe, I, I absolutely love that, um, what you just said there. And, um, you know, I think that some of the people that work for, for my businesses could probably learn from that. Um, yeah. Wh- why do I get to be so lucky? I think it's a, another way, another way of expressing it. Right? And I don't really believe in coincidences. Um, and certainly if someone's coming to you with this amazing piece of business and they've historically worked with someone else, um, it does. You're, you're right to question it, because um, why aren't they going back to you know, the previous supplier, previous advisor, previous lender, insurance, whatever, fill in the blank. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners will have other examples that they can uh, that, that can they can point to. Um, so great. Uh, I, I love that. That was really, really good. Um, can we just talk about people that inspire you? Um, you mentioned your dad a little bit earlier, but, you know, people people that inspire you and maybe some past events that have inspired you or given you inspiration and the motivation to succeed. Yeah, I think um, I, so. I'm not too I'm, I'm not too big on this point, to be honest with you. I think that there are, you know, I, I, the whole way through my my prof- professional career and, and life, as I touched on, my, my dad always says that I that I collect people. So I think that I I naturally gravitate to people, not necessarily that are successful, but I think that are, that are doers. And quite often those two things go together. But I suppose the the attraction is the I have a, I think I have a similar approach to them that they are <clears throat> excuse me. They are push the ball forward people. Um, and I think that those people are the ones that I find most inspiring. And obviously from a, from a very early 
standpoint, my dad and, and my mum similarly. So I think that that's that's where that comes from. That's where that foundation is built because my, my dad was a it is an up and out kind of guy. Um, and he's always, you know, finding a way to do something. He's finding a solution to all the challenges that that we talk about. Um, and I and I witnessed that firsthand as I was I was growing up. So it, it formed me in my uh, in my formative years. And then as that <laughs> collection process developed, I was very fortunate that the some of the people that I gravitated to that were clients of mine, I then went to I then went to work for, um, and have then have become friends of mine. So I think that I'm I've, I've probably been quite clinical with my circle in the sense that my energy and my time will, will, will go into people that I, I suppose I find inspiring. I don't necessarily, you know, when I'm coming to meet you or, or if I'm speaking to you on the phone, I don't think I'm speaking to Michael Dean. He's so inspiring. But I'm, but at the same time, you and I do have that professional relationship because you're one of those people that moves the ball forward and, and wants to get stuff done. And, and part of that is the success that will come with it. So I think that it's more... I suppose in a roundabout way, it's, it's the people that are all immediately around me um, in, in one way, shape or form that have particularly um, inspired me over my over my professional and, and, and personal career. So I think that's probably the, the, the main thing, I think. And, and then from a, a motivation standpoint, I, the, I am that the horrible thing that says on the job spec about being a self-starter, as, as, we, as we touched on. I think the, the thing that I've probably found that's accelerated that any um, even further is having a little one at home. I don't think that there's anything that can motivate you more to be successful and, and get to where you want to get to. But then that has to be effectively managed because as you as you quite rightly said, he, he doesn't care. He just wants you to sit on the bed with him and, and play in the morning and not go to work. So it's it, it's fine in the it's fine in the balance between the two. But I certainly think that the the motivation you have once you once you have kids kicks on sort of tenfold. So yeah, that's I can't say that um, any Crystal Palace games have particularly inspired me, sadly. So I think that's probably my uh, <laughs> my, my best way for it. Well, I'd say the last 20 years of Arsenal probably wouldn't be that inspiring, inspiring in my case either. So, uh, <laughs> but that that might uh, well maybe that will change in the next next few months. We'll see. Uh, but uh, do you know what? I I actually love that you mentioned your son as being someone that in, that's given you maybe less so inspiration more motivation um because that's something that resonates with me and i think that will resonate resonate with i don't, I don't want to limit this just to fathers but i think it's quite it, it's quite a male phenomenon uh, but i'm sure that there's also there will be mothers as well who who will look at their kids and see that the kids as a as a motivation and a driver for for success i think my in my own mother's case you know she was a single mother new to this country quite relatively new to this country you know on her own wanted to make a better life for me and you know and I'm sure in many ways I provided her with that motivation and inspiration to go out and make make that life for herself that she successfully did so um you know I, I think that's a great thing to raise um right now is our red pill blue pill question uh, so I'm fascinated to see how how you answer this um so if you have to choose between given should I say, if you have to choose being given all the knowledge and experience you have now, aged let's say ten, or to be given twenty-five million pounds, aged twenty-five, which option would you choose and why? So I'll give you an option in relation to A and B, but my answer is absolutely C. I don't want either of them. I would rather do. I've totally enjoyed what I've done so far, and I would. I much prefer the journey I'm on now than, than considering either of those two. But 
for the purpose of the question, absolutely A, every single time, um, because I think you can have such a more profound impact um, with the insight and experience you have at whatever age you are, so then going back to 10 years old and working forward. The, the caveat to that is how much would change, you know, you would change things for the better, but how much would changing the things for the better impact on everything that you've enjoyed between 10 and now so I, I think that a has to be the answer that the 25 the money thing is not a I don't find that particularly interesting and as we talked about before you can always you can always make more of it not necessarily get to 25 and, and million and, and make more of it but you know I think that there's that that's that, that was not not particularly interesting I think between a and b it has to be a every single time that was the, one, of, one of the easier questions but I would I would always go see and, and stick with what I've got thank you very much do you know what? I actually love that answer that the, you kind of come, coming up with your answer C because uh, actually in many ways why would you trade in the experience you've had so far? Um, uh, my natural inclination is always to go down the route of A. I, you know, I, I'd never choose B because I don't think I, I don't believe in windfalls. I don't, I, I don't play the lottery, and I, it's like why I wouldn't invest in something like Bitcoin because um, mm. uh, you know it, it, basically you're you're benefiting from fortune. It's 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 a fluke. It's a bit of luck. And what do you learn when someone gives you a bunch of money? So I think I'd always rather have that option A. But I, I actually am more inclined to go with what, what with what you said. Some of the other people who've responded on this question when I've asked them about it have said that, and it's it's about split down the middle actually. Um, they've said that they would actually rather the money because why would they want to have lost their innocence? And lost the opportunity to learn what what you learn during your you know your your preteen and your teenage years you know these really important de de developmental years uh, where you get to learn so much about uh, about life and the world um, and so that that's one thing I I think actually your option C gives you that opportunity to take advantage of what you will have experienced in the life you've had up to now. Um, but it's it's always really it, you know there's never really an, a right answer for that question. I think that it's what it does is it sparks a, a, an interesting debate. Um, let's just talk about different ideas or things, concepts that um, that are a bit unusual or, or beliefs that you have that are unusual. So, is there anything that you particularly believe that some other people think is weird or insane? Um. professionally I think not really I think it's quite a you know I think you have to be fairly logical and sensible um with with what we do I think with regards to crazy things that are completely insane I do wholeheartedly believe at some point Palace will end up in Europe um but and I don't just mean on like a pre-season tour of, of somewhere um which is normally the answer that I get back when I when I talk about it they just got kind of gone through and I, I think they're in a in a, in a, they've got a good platform to, to go and do it but everyone even my even my close friends that are palace fans think that the notion is completely crazy so that, that is probably the uh, the wildest ones i don't have any um any conspiracy theories i did work with a guy um who was an ardent flat earther which i didn't find out until about three years into working with him which was which was always an interesting um conversation and, and topic and it turned out that he had some interesting views on some some other items as well um but no i, I don't think i'm um I don't think I'm particularly crazy, apart from with my um, my, my rose-tinted Crystal Palace spectacles. To be honest with you, Michael. 
Okay, okay. Uh, it's uh, for me, it's quite topical because this week, um, one of my sort of dad's WhatsApp groups has been going backwards and forwards uh, on the concept of the death penalty uh, for, for right. people who commit really heinous crimes. And um, I, I personally don't believe in it. Uh, I think that it's not the most appropriate way of, uh, of of punishing really serious crimes like that. Um, but you know, the some of my some of my friends feel very strongly uh, in that favour, and I think I guess they sort of they put themselves in that sort of retribution camp. And um, okay, I, I imagine some people think it's insane. Some people don't think. Some people might think it, I'm insane. I'm sure if someone in America. Who, who who lives in a death penalty state might hear me saying that that, that I don't agree with the death death penalty and I think it's inappropriate. They might think I'm insane. Um, but I think it's always one of those very interesting uh, hot button topics that does split people right down the middle. Um, whether Palace will get into Europe or not is is uh, I think there I think there's um, I think there's more chance of Palace getting into Europe than the Earth someone discovering that the earth is flat that's for sure so uh, i can i can take the positive out of that yeah yeah so uh, good um can we talk about some common misconceptions about you um you know you know things that people might perceive you to be and whereas the reality is a different way Uh, obviously I, i knowing you you know you're quite a determined quite confident individual but are there any aspects of that 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 don't ring true or, or anything else about about you that you know people might make an assumption around around you and actually the the truth is somewhere somewhere that's quite far from it yeah i think that probably the one of the things that one of the perceptions that probably comes up quite often is the you know i'm a, I'm a front house type of guy i like to be client facing um and to and to work on those interactions so i think that a lot of the time that people think that, that that's how I measure or how I think success should be men- measured you know, on the basis of what we've done and what the bottom line looks like and, and so on and so forth. And, and I think probably in my in my early career or earlier career, I don't think I'm, I'm that far through it, to be honest with you. Um, but I think um, in my early career, that was that was probably true. But I, I think um, I've become much more considered over the past probably six years, six or seven years. And, and probably the thing that I've that I've enjoyed most that, that people don't really see um, has been the development of people professionally and, and personally that I've, that I've worked with um, in, in various areas, not just, you know, people on the commercial side of, of the businesses I've worked in, um, but to see that, you know, the, the development of the people that I've worked with that have become friends and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and that probably arcs back to the people that I gravitated to or still gravitate to as I've worked through my career, because that was that was kind of what happened to me. That was how I was shaped was by people that were maybe a couple of steps ahead, a couple, a few rungs further up the ladder. Um, and I suppose you, quite often the misconception with those people would be you, you're looking at them, and the metric for success would be you know how much money they were making or or, or, or the perceived success and value of their their business, cars they were driving, so on and so forth. And actually, I, I think that why those people liked me and liked to have me around and to engage with me and give me their time was because they liked seeing the, the developing in me that came out and I think that I, that's probably something I've not realised until quite recently where I, that's that's my favourite bit of the job is going to work um, and not just with the people in the business but also you know the other people that you interact with partners, clients, suppliers um, 
and and so on. So I think that probably the, the misconception is that you know Jack is you know and J three are they're, they're they're at it and they're and, and they're after it with regards to trying to transact on as much insurance and funding as possible. And there's certainly some some truth to that. But I think actually the you know the the thing that I get most enjoyment out is is the culture within that business that's been created, and in, in you know in the one that I, that I left behind as well. The culture of, the, of that business was was fantastic. On you know when I, certainly when I was there, um, and and that's probably the thing that's that, that gave me most joy, I suppose, from a, a working aspect. It wasn't necessarily something that that I necessarily expected or was or was looking for was looking for, but not not something that I talked about in great detail as well. So I think that's probably. Probably the, the the biggest one and the one I enjoy most because I think that when you when you do talk about it, people that it resonates with people and they you know there's there's something in in that that they like as well. Look, I, I really like that uh, actually. Um, as someone who also takes a lot of pleasure and 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 um, satisfaction in seeing the development of the people that have worked within our business, for me it's probably in the top three if not in the top one, things that I've really, really enjoyed over the, let's say the, you know, nearly eight years of Avonmore's existence and more generally within my career. Um, so I think that's something that you and I have in common. And it's probably one of the reasons why obviously we, we're drawn to each other from a from a professional standpoint. Um, I, I'll, I'll leave you with an amusing anecdote. So someone I went to university with, who's actually was one of the co-founders or founders of Tough Mudder, uh, knew me at university and uh, being sort of this sort of rugby lad um, you know sort of brash and you know sort of leery not leery but loud kind mm. of uh, kind of kind of rugby boy at, at university um, he once said to me at a dinner party after we sort of debated something or discussed something that was r- remotely cerebral he said said to me oh you're a bit more intelligent than I realized um, so <laughs> You know, so you know, people people can sometimes draw, um, shall we say, um, the wrong impression of you, or different impressions of you, without knowing you a little bit better. So, um, that's that's always uh, that's always a fun, uh, you know, it's, it's always fun to see how how people see themselves being slightly misconceived. And um, in your case, actually, it's it's really great to hear your belief and dis- belief in training and developing people. Um, because that's something that I share as well. Um, let's talk about some key personal values. Obviously, you you know, having just talked about something that uh, that matters to you a lot, which is training and developing people and building cultures. What are your key personal values, both for business and life more generally, that you value above others? I think my first two probably come together in integrity and good intention. I think everybody is completely obsessed with execution and the and the end result um but i think that if you have integrity and, and good in and, and good intention more often than not you end up on the, the right side of things i think that, you know execution you don't always get it right rarely do i get it right i find so that is my imperfect action is my execution so but i think if you go into things with the with the right intention and you, and you have that degree of um integrity attached to you then i think that that's 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 a key fundamental for me. It's certainly one of the things that I look for. I'm much much more interested in how somebody approached something than, rather than what the what the end result was. Um, and I think alongside that um, is something that I don't often talk about, but something I think quite often gets taken for granted for people that have got it. 
which is which is courage, um, which has you know, been a bit of a, a thread in in what we've talked about with regards to you know having to get up and take action and, and, and get on with it. I think that you have to you have to have that um, in, in whatever it is that you're doing because most of the time you don't necessarily know whether it is 100 right in what you're doing, but you've you've got to try and find out, and it takes a certain degree of courage to um, you know to get on the field and and to and to and to make the play rather than sitting on the bench. I think it's very easy to to sit and, and talk about things or what other people should be doing um, from the sidelines, but it's it's very different once you, you know once you lace up and get on with it. So I think courage is a uh, is a big one for me. And then my last one is adaptability, which kind of speaks to my character and my um, professional career, I suppose, is the, the ability to to adapt to to what's going on. I wouldn't say that I'm the most uh, the most academic, but I'm I'm fairly sharp at, at thinking on my feet feet. Um, and being able to find a, a way forward solution. So I think that those are my those are my key four. Don't know how many you wanted, but those those are the four that that, that are, are most important to me. I think. I don't think there's a don't think there's a exhaustive number, and um, I think they're all really interesting and valid points. I want to just pick up on the courage piece. It's, it's actually a theme that at the moment I'm wrestling with a little bit myself, uh, particularly mainly as an investor than anything else, um, but. As far as courage is concerned, um, do you think everyone is suited to be an entrepreneur or, or do you think it's, it takes certain types of personalities, uh, you know, obviously looking through that lens of courage in particular? I think that firstly, I, I think the word entrepreneur is overused and in most instances, I can't stand it. Um, but I, I think so, so I think there are too many people trying to be an entrepreneur without having any experience. I wouldn't say that because the three of us set up J3, we're entrepreneurs by any stretch of the imagination. I think other people can describe you as an entrepreneur or describe you as being entrepreneurial. But I don't think it, it would. Uh, it makes my skin crawl to think of me walking into a room and saying I'm an entrepreneur. So I, I think that you should never use it when you talk about yourself. You should only ever use it when you talk about other people. That's my my feeling on it but I think when you when you do talk about other people that are entrepreneurial entrepreneurs um I think that, that courage is certainly something that that needs to run through them I, I think that that's often courage can be often be um miscategorized and people can can often think that that means that you need to be an extrovert or overtly arrogant to have courage you know some of the some of the bravest and most courageous people that that I've come across have been the quiet thinkers and the observers that don't say too much. Um, so I, I think that it's it's absolutely a, a, a fundamental tool in the toolbox of, of anybody that's just in business. But I think it comes in in different forms. And I think that the the immediate how people view it when when they hear the word courage is they think about big brave people that, that puff their chests out and make loads of noise. Um, but I don't necessarily think that that's that's what it is. I think I think courage is getting up in the morning and, and taking imperfect action. As I as I keep coming back to, it. I think that's the you know, that's the that's the brave thing. Well, can you describe what you mean by imperfect action? I mean, I think I know what it means, but maybe some of our listeners might need a little bit more context. Yeah, I think that when you when you're looking at, at doing something, whether it's writing a piece of content. Um, whether it's making that phone call to a big client, whether it's approaching a new supplier, whether it's starting a difficult conversation with a partner or a friend, I think that everybody wants to approach everything and, and do everything they can perfectly. But 
the problem is is that there's always two realities um, to any situation. There's the reality of how I view things sat here in Manchester, and there's the reality of how you see things um, sat there in Surrey. So I think that that the problem with that is that there is never a perfect way to do something, a perfect way to word something. So as a result, any action you take is in is going to be imperfect, and but it just means that you have to do it and get on with it. There is, you know, everybody's constantly trying to do things the right way and, and, and do it perfectly. And I think that re results in a lot of inaction. I think people end up not doing things as a result because they get the fear. And they think, oh, well, what if I get it wrong or it doesn't work and, and so on and so forth. And the reality is you just have to start and you have to make that that first step and you know, pick the phone up and speak to the client and see where that conversation takes you. And I think that's, that's, that's kind of my imperfect action courage synopsis. Yeah, I, I think another way it's, I've heard it described is um, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 I mean, it's essentially the same the same concept, but um, I, I completely agree with that. And that's certainly something that, you know, at least with the Naval Force, Sahara and I um, have, have always echoed that mantra. So, it's, you know, sometimes I think we've when we've tried to over perfect things and I'm normally thinking about legal agreements and stuff like that, um, it's probably cost us more than we might have benefited from in how we try to perfect our our sort of legal position or status um okay so let, let's just talk about outside of work a little bit more um how do you like to spend your time when you're not in work um i guess we talked about your your passion for crystal palace and uh, and and also your uh, your, your fiance and, and your son uh, and any other any other hobbies or things that you like to do in in, in your non-working time yeah, well, we would we would always before um, before Josh arrived, my fiance and I would always travel quite a lot, um, be it city breaks or you know a nice holiday once a year. Um, so I think that was something that we were we were keen to try and manage when Josh arrived. Well, it comes with challenges when you start a new business, so you kind of have to manage expectations a little bit with regards to it. Um, but we still managed to do it reasonably successfully in in his first eight months. Um, so. And we're going to try and continue to do so. So currently I am that guy that gets on the plane with the baby and everybody looks at you down the plane with absolute fear that there's a smaller than toddler on the plane. And are they going to are they going to scream the whole way through? But so far, touch wood, he's had two trips across the pond and he's um, he's been he's been very good on the way out and on the way back both times. So I think that that's something that will that will remain a feature. And I think that that's, you know, we like to do that. And, and it's not always America, obviously, but. We, um, you know, we like to go and explore and do different things, and I think that would be, you know, even more fun doing it as a doing it as a three. Probably a bit more fun in a in a year's time when he's toddling about and there's loads more character falling out of him. Um, so I think that's a that's the main point. And then, you know, Palace is a is a focal point for me. That's something that my dad and I still do, um, going to the home games and and a fair few fair few away games. But you know, otherwise between those those two points. Josh generally um, and having a business that kind of keeps me keeps me fairly busy. Yeah, no, fair enough. Well, you you, you haven't you haven't become a, you you haven't uh, fallen foul of, uh, of of the lycra warrior or uh, you know or you haven't made your haven't made your missus a, a golf widow yet. No, definitely. I, and I, everybody keeps I keep getting badgered to to get into golf by by various people, and I, I really dislike the idea of, of starting something from scratch um, having having never played um but I'm also annoyed that I, I didn't play earlier I've got so quite a lot of my friends have, have really got into it um over the past few years 
Um, so I think golf is probably something I might need to, to, to bite the bullet on and, and get on with because I think it'd be good for work as well. So I, I do need to, um, in fact, I have agreed, I have, I have agreed to do, to host a golf day um, in May, even though I, I don't play. So um, that should be, that should make for interesting reading. I think I'll have to draft somebody in um, to be my, to, to, to be me as the, as the golfer and I'll, and I'll do some of the other fun elements that come with a, with a golf day. Well, uh I, I, I will leave you to that, right? Having once upon a time played golf to a, an acceptable standard, um, I now find myself n- not wanting to play it at all. I had a miss, I had a particularly frustrating afternoon on holiday in Spain last May, where I must have lost about 12 balls. Mm. It's about the only sport where I can, where you can spend the best part of 100 pounds or 100 euros, four or five hours being perfectly nice warm sunshine and come home more angry than when you left the house so yeah for me for me I've I've decided to ta- take a leave of absence when it comes to golf but um yeah for those that enjoy it I, uh, I say good luck to you and I do agree there is probably a beneficial business component to it and so for sure if you uh, if you do end up going down that route um, you will probably get something out of it mm. um in terms of your hobbies and personal life, you know, have you learned anything that you've been able to apply in your business life? Um, you know, obviously, you're probably excluding Palace because you, at one point your hobby was also your was was also your business life mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I think playing sport generally, I think it's well documented the um, the crossover between between sport and business and the, the synergy between the two. So. I think that that gave me a really good insight as a as a youngster of, of people not necessarily understanding their own value or their own ability, which I think you see quite a lot in business, which I think is a real opportunity because if you can see something in somebody else that they don't see in themselves or somebody else in the management structure doesn't see in that individual and you can bring that out of them, then there's obviously a real, there's a real value to it. And, and I think that was something that I identified um, in other people necessarily do anything about it but you know I saw people that were were talented and capable at, at various sports but maybe didn't recognize how good they were or how talented they were or, or what their you know what their superpower was from a athletic or, or sporting capability so I think that that insight was probably very useful and, and and sometimes when I see people that maybe lack a little bit of self-belief or don't, don't realize that they've got an innate talent for something, be it speaking to people or whatever it whatever it may be, I quite often will relate that back to you know maybe people that I played football with years ago and think oh that's like that guy who didn't realise how good he was. Um, so I think that those in in my sort of my formative years, you you kind of pick things up and you identify things that you you bank subconsciously, and then it it, it kind of comes to the fore and you think oh actually that was a you know that was a useful and worthwhile experience. So I think that you know you talked about the gym and. Um, movement and, and activity, which I think is obviously great for your, your mental space, your mental mental health as well. But I think um, I think in your in your early years, it's so useful because it's it, that, that competitive um, environment teaches you so many things about yourself. But it also allows you to observe other people, um, and you know not only you, you spot where the weaknesses are in the opposition, but also in, in you know in those that are, that are around you. And it's you know part of your job is to is to make them better and, and bring them out of themselves. And that is obviously something that I've enjoyed later on in my in my professional career. So I think that that's probably something from a, a personal standpoint that's 
has crossed over for me. Yeah, look, I really like that. I really like that. You, you know, spotting. You know, it's funny. You, you talk about someone maybe a bit within their shell, and you know, they 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 maybe need uh, they, they maybe need to be sort of told that they're actually quite good or they've got some potential and th- that they shouldn't waste it. Um, I think we've probably also encountered a number of salespeople. I used salespeople as an example who maybe think they're a bit better than they really are. And you've probably seen similar on the sports field uh, as well. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. But I think I think I, I probably I probably was that person on the sports field. To be honest with you, he thought he was. I, I, I talked a far better game than I played. Is is what I realised upon reflection. Although I did talk a good game, so I think. But yeah, I think that's fair enough. But again, I think that comes with. It, it's also identifying your you know your, your own weaknesses and shortcomings, which is probably why I did talk as much when I played because I was I was better at that than I was actually maybe playing. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think we all know a few of those. I think we'll all know a few of those people. Uh, it, on that note, were you one of those? Were you one of the first people to get, um, you know, yellow boots or, uh, you know, or pink boots or white boots when everyone else had was still wearing their, uh, the, you know, their, their black. Definitely, kings? yeah. I had the, yeah. I think, you know, when the Red Predators when they came out, and I was, I was into the. I must have been the slowest person to ever wear a pair of night vapors. Um, you know, <laughs> I think there's this is for somebody who was fairly fairly slight um to be so slow it it almost um defied physics in, in, in some instances so um which we, and then especially and you know you'd identify wouldn't you we would certainly you'd look at people and say oh you know he must be technical because he's got the coffers on or he must be really quick because he's got the vapors or, or whatever it is um but but yeah it, it would turn out that you know i was particularly slow um but could talk the game so that was uh yeah i think that was definitely uh definitely definitely one of those well, there's always some value on that in football pitch, uh, good communication, but I think ultimately you've still got to be able to use your legs. So, uh, yes, yeah, definitely. it probably explains why you were working the other side of the pitch when you're at Palace. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, OK, um, last couple of questions now. Um, you've talked about you, you've given a really lovely insight that I like, which is that it will take longer and cost more money but you know are there any sort of business or life hacks you'd like to share with listeners that you know that that would take less than 90 seconds to to put across i just think that the um the the two that we talked about earlier i think from a front of house speaking to new clients and, and developing those relationships no one i quite often say to you know when we've when we've taken on newer hires or more inexperienced people into the business but no one cares what we do. No one, no one, you don't need to call up and pitch J3. No one really cares what we do. You build credibility by the questions that you ask. Um, and that's, you know, that that is a, a key fundamental for me, um, having sat here and answered your questions. Uh, but that's that is the format that we follow here. So, but that is certainly something that I think is a, is a fundamental business-wise, is that the way you build credibility and, and grow your business and, and your knowledge is by asking good questions. That's how people, you know, take notice of you. And, and you move the ball forward and you develop the relationship and develop the conversation. And then the other one is the point that keeps coming up is imperfect action beats anxiety and everything else pretty much, um, which is something that Johnny and I talk about a lot of the time. I think, you know, on the, on the days, uh, like I say, where, where I was not doing so well and he was flying, um, you know, it was his imperfect action that would, that would kick me on and, and vice versa. And it's something that if, if, if we have stuff where something's, you know, been, we haven't done it, 
um, and we needed to and it's kind of lingering around one of us will have that conversation with the other and, and just sort of say we just need to do that whatever it looks like let's just get on with it and, and, and see what happens and we'll, we'll move it forward after you just you have to get going so credibility by questions um, and imperfect action beats anxiety and pretty much everything else yeah, the, the questioning bit actually brings to mind something that uh, that I actually experienced probably going back into the the heart of the pandemic actually so we tasked the sales team that we had at the time uh, when during the middle of the pandemic it was a quiet time funding was a little bit on the shy side and developers and brokers weren't necessarily out buying and developing new sites because they, they could barely leave their homes but at the same time we tasked the, the salespeople to go out and really hit the phones and start talking to people and, and trying to build relationships with new brokers that they didn't necessarily have relationships with or hadn't had the opportunity to build relationships with because in the normal times, you know, quote unquote normal, that those people were too busy and they were too busy and, you know, they were focusing on their own existing relationships or whatever. And the salespeople found it really difficult and they really pushed back and they said, well, look, you know, it's why, what are we doing this for? What's the benefit? We, you know, we don't have much of a product to to sell you know it's just a waste of time and of course i said look this is an opportunity for you to build new relationships and um and it was funny because the the approach that i took so i, I just thought right i'm going to take this on to myself i'm going to try and make some of these calls and just see how it goes and maybe there's something i can learn from doing the job myself and i can impart on them and the approach that i took was actually just doing a bit of a fact find and asking them asking these brokers questions you know what type what type of what type of lending do you typically do do you focus on commercial term buy to let development finance you know bridging a bit of all of that or is it you know business factoring all that kind of stuff and then asking who they typically worked with where where do their clients normally based you know basically spend a lot of time asking them questions about themselves at no at no point did I ask them any questions or sorry at no point did I say to them oh this is what we do and this is who we are and it's funny because at some point 10-15 minutes into that conversation they, they'll turn around to me and go so but hold on so what do you do tell me about your business it's almost like you you have this opportunity to build a relationship and build a rapport you're asking them questions you're trying to find out about them you're showing an interest in them and they come back to you and then they're like, oh, OK, actually, now I want to learn about you because people, unless they're sociopaths or psychopaths, are going to want to actually try to build a relationship. They know how to build a relationship. The way you do that is then turning it around and asking questions in reverse. And so they're not exactly the same themes, but very they're similar themes, which is actually as a salesperson or someone who's in business, asking questions is is more important than just going out and pitching and selling. So we come we kind of come up kind of coming at it from a a different you know we're, we're taking a similar approach but with slightly different styles if you know what i mean so yeah. um so I, look i think that i think that the, the key point though is that if you're trying to get on in business just ask questions because invariably that, that that will that will provide you with um surprise surprise answers yeah. um okay so um Last question, uh, what book would you recommend to listeners that's had a profound impact on your life? 
Um, two books, one on negotiation, um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. But I would listen to that as an audio book rather than read it. Um, and it, it'll be much better because the audio book is out of this world. Um, and then the other one is Ego is the Enemy. Which is by, uh, Ego is the Enemy is by... It's by it's by Ryan Holiday. I can tell you that yes. because I I um I I have read that book. Although a little while ago, I recently finished uh, Ryan Holiday's uh, I think his second book, which is The Obstacle Is the Way, uh, which again excellent book. Uh, and I think I've mentioned that on a previous podcast. Um, and uh, I think we should be able to share details of all those books in the show notes. So uh, look forward to uh, providing our listeners with that that sort of information uh jack we are coming up to the end of our time together and obviously very grateful that you've been able to join me today um first of all if people would like to find you or reach out to you um are you able to share um your social media and your company website so that if someone wants to find you personally or j3 um how how could they go about finding you uh the website is j3advisory.co.uk um and we have all of the all of the social channels certainly instagram and, and linkedin and i'm on linkedin as well um so can be can be found there um but all of our contact details are, are on the website as well should anyone wish to reach out and have a conversation or, or indeed find me on uh, on linkedin and, and otherwise is there anything else that you want to share before before we end today no, I don't. I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a lot. I just want to take the opportunity to say thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, enjoyed talking to you as as ever, and uh, thanks very very much for the opportunity and for thinking of me. Well, Jack, I have to say there's been so many um, so many valuable truth bombs and insights that you've been able to share, and and I think I personally have learned from this conversation today. And as much as anything else. Uh, I didn't set out to have the biggest podcast in the world. I, I, I've done this to scratch an itch and to learn a few things. And if some other people get the benefit of your wisdom as well today, then so much the better. So thank you. Uh, appreciate you and, um, and go well. No, thank you very much. You too. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avonmorecapital.com avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.